Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have an amazing lineup today. We have three BiblioGuides ladies with us, Lara Yeverino, Tanya Arnold, and Sarah Kim. Jill from Purple House Press is here, and Kathy Andrews is here. I should have brought virtual cupcakes, <laughs> because not only is Kathy Andrews my oldest friend, because she's known me since before I knew her as my sister, mm-hmm. but she said she doesn't think she's ever done a book discussion before in any format. What? No, not. Wow. Well, Kathy, we are so honored that we get to be your first real book club. Yay. That's really, yay. (laughs) It's so good to have you here, Kathy. Thank you. I'm honored to be asked. (laughs) Well, we couldn't do Keeper of the Bees and not ask you. That's just, that wasn't allowed. No. (laughs) So friends, you may remember Kathy from Potato Peel Pie. Or if you're not familiar with Potato Peel Pie, you might remember the very first couple of episodes we did we had Kathy join us because we were telling our story. And our story is that the three of us with a couple of other friends built potato peel pie, which then had the outgrowth into Plumfield and Pidea, and then now Plumfield Moms with this Plumfield Reads book club. So it's very appropriate that Kathy is here today to join us for this book because this book is one that we did in Potato Peel Pie, and I would never have read it if it had not been for Diane and Kathy and their love of Jean Stratton Porter. So friends, welcome to this episode of Plumfield Reads. Today we are going to talk about Jean Stratton Porter's very last book, The Keeper of the Bees. It's my favorite of all of her books. I think, Diane, it's one of your favorites, right? No, it is my favorite. Yeah. Okay, good. Hey, that's something we completely agree on. Normally, we disagree a little. Ooh, you guys should be worried. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, we're thrilled to have Kathy join us. We're also thrilled to have Jill Morgan join us because we've been begging Jill Morgan to reprint this book. She is here today as a lover of the book and also as the publisher of a brand new edition of Keeper of the Bees. And we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But first, let's get into our book club. So my first exposure to Jean Stratton Porter was through an education homeschool group when I was a baby mom and a baby homeschooler. And I read Laddie, and I didn't love it. And I thought, why is everybody so excited about Jean Stratton Porter? I'm just not really a fan of Laddie. But then other people said, well, try Freckles. And I loved Freckles. And then I read A Girl of the Limber Lost and really appreciated that one as well. But it wasn't until I got to know Kathy and Diane, and they have a great love of Gene Stratton Porter, that we tried a bunch of other books, The Harvester and then this one. And this one, it stole my heart. I've read it three times, and it's still my favorite Gene Stratton Porter book. So, Diane, when did you first discover this book? It's probably been about 20 years ago. Hmm. And I I had um, finished my further up and further in study and, and it had gone to the printer. And so I was sitting there waiting for my book to come out. And I thought, go find something else to do. Hmm. 
So I was going to look for another author series to do that same kind of a study with. And I don't remember how I found Jean Stratton Porter, but you know, Girl of the Limberlost is always on all of the book lists. Yeah. And, and sometimes Freckles, but it seems like Girl of the Limberlost is. is a little bit more popular. Mm-hmm. So I happen to love Laddie. <laughs> See? And I like Freckles. And I like Girl of the Limberlost. But Keeper of the Bees is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And now, Kathy, do I remember correctly? Do you like The Harvester more than this one? I seem to have that memory. No, no? I don't think so. But Keeper of the Bees, mm. as I might have mentioned in my review, is one of my all time. Oh, did favorites. you review it? I did. <laughs> Just <laughs> it's been about a hundred years ago, but yeah, no, I it's it is my one of my favorites of hers. Lara, what about you? When was the first time you read this book? Because I know you're a huge fan of Gene Stratton Porter as well. Well, I don't remember when was the first time I read Keeper of the Bees, but I read The Harvester as a teenager. Mm. And then Jean Stratton Porter was the first author I ever collected all her books. And I've been collecting for 30 Mm. years or so, 30, 35 years. So, and I was lucky enough to be collecting books before the -hmm. internet. And so I would find them and nobody knew what they were or how popular they were. And so at one point I had three first edition sets of Jean Stratton Porter books that I... (laughs) then realized we're just disintegrating on my shelves. And so I gave them two of the sets away. So I still have, I think I may not have all first editions, but most. So I'm really excited Jill's coming out with a reprint because my Keeper of the Bees is starting to fall apart. (laughs) Well, and it's really um, hard to find a good Keeper of the Bees. A good edition of the Keeper of the Bees is very tricky to find until now. Right. Yeah, I think there were a couple that that were out by uh, Indiana University Press or something like that, but they're they're hard to find, really hard to find. So I couldn't pick a favorite Gene Stratton Porter, I don't think. But it would not be Girl of the Limberlost, <laughs> and it might be Freckles or Laddie. I don't know. They're all good. This one was amazing. <laughs> So speaking of editions, so Diane, you have the Indiana University paperback, correct? Yes. Isn't this hideous? Yes, it is hideous. (laughs) I also have a first edition hardback, just so you know. (laughs) I have an Indiana University hardback, and it's gorgeous. But there was a very limited run. They're not doing it again. So if you don't have it, you don't have it. (laughs) You can't find Good luck finding it on anywhere else. So yeah. So now friends, you can't see this, but everybody's holding up their editions into the cameras and we're all just shaking our heads at the ugliness of them. <laughs> Sarah, is yours the Grosset and Dunlop one? Yes. I have the Grosset and Dunlap with the dust jacket and the man and woman walking on the beach. I love that picture, but it doesn't actually make sense to the story. No. <laughs> So, Jill, what about you? When did you first read Keeper of the Bees? This is my first Jean Stratton Porter book. I have heard of her titles in the past, but a few ladies here told me that it would probably be a good idea to print this book again because it was so well-loved. And I have my mic sitting on my copy right now. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really fat first edition, and every time I turn a page, it falls out of the book. I'm oh. not kidding. 
<laughs> that is the hardship with those old books is that they, you know, they, if you use them, they disintegrate. And mm-hmm. so while it's marvelous to collect, like I have a collection of Louisa May Elcott's that are first edition and they're very precious, but they're not my reader's copies. <laughs> Well, it doesn't matter in my case because I usually have to cut the pages out anyway, so this is saving me a step. (laughs) (laughs) Tanya, when was the first time you read Keeper of the Bees? This was my first time. Yay! Now, have you read other Jean Stratton Porters? (laughs) So I thought that I had read Girl of the Limberlost in high school, but I read the description of it online and I thought, Maybe not. Oh. That doesn't sound familiar at all. So I don't know. <laughs> interesting. And so you've never read Laddie? Like a, a lot of homeschoolers mm-hmm. read Laddie. And you, interesting. Or Freckles. Or Freckles. Or, no. Well. So I would probably say this is my first Jean Stratton Porter. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for you. All the goodness you have yet to have that first reading of. I can't wait to read with you. <laughs> As you do that. I know. It's exciting. <laughs> it huh? is. Yes. <laughs> and I did love this one. I thought it was so good. Mm, yay. And I gave it to my mom to read. And then my sister saw it sitting and she was like, I feel like I could use that book. So now my sister's reading it. Aww. So it's making its rounds. Very cool. Sarah Kim, what about you? When was the first time you read this book? Uh, I finished it last week. It was my first read of Keeper of the Bees. And I had read as an adult uh, Freckles and Girl of the Limberlost, Girl of the Limberlost with another book club, in-person book club. Mm, Fun. And I think I preferred Freckles and Girl of the Limberlost to Keeper of the Beast, actually. Interesting. I can't wait to hear why. Well, actually, without spoilers, uh, tell us why. I, this one felt a little more preachy to me Mm. and it felt... A little more obvious I knew what was going to happen yeah when I read this story and the others I felt were a little bit more unexpected so I enjoyed that a little bit more about them interesting very interesting yeah this one is it's not hard to see the trajectory of this one and it it really does have a neat and tidy ending that was pretty obvious and therefore I felt very satisfying (laughs) so Diane though tell us about freckles and the ending of freckles without telling us the ending i think i can say this the in the original ending freckles dies Mm -hmm. and which you kind of get to the end and think well that's sad but okay Mm -hmm. that's stuff like that happens and when she sent it to her publisher they said no you can't do that Mm -hmm. and she said she walked the floor i think for three days before she finally decided to go ahead and do what the publisher said and change the ending. And so if you read it and think, wow, that's really contrived. (laughs) It is. It's exactly, that is what it is. She had to decide, fine, if you don't want sadness, I'm going to make it so sweet. You won't know what to do. It is sickeningly (laughs) sweet. (laughs) And yet satisfying. (laughs) Yeah, you're happy for him. Yay, everything came out wonderful, but really? (laughs) (laughs) well friends at this point in the podcast we want to remind you that this is a book club which means there is no prohibition against spoilers and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of it all and so if you do not want to hear spoilers if you've not had a chance to read this yet and you want to be surprised 
then this is a great place to just stop and come back when you've had a chance to read. If, however, you're reading along with us and you're ready, well, this is a great place to continue listening. Also, we want to remind mamas that one of the major reasons why we are doing these book clubs is A, we'd love to give you an opportunity to read some grown-up books with other grown-ups, and we would love to talk to you about this. We would love to continue this conversation with you in our beautiful preferred social media option, which is kind of not social media. It's a group dedicated just to conversation about the books, and that is the BiblioGuides online community. So if you'd like to chat with us and tell us what you think of the book, we'd love to hear from you. And the link to the BiblioGuides online community is going to be in the show notes as always. But if you don't have time to read and you're listening to this podcast because you need to preview, because you're not sure if this is a book you can hand off to your young reader, that's the other reason why we're doing this. So know that that is what we're trying to do here too, is to help you in the previewing. Okay. So with that, spoilers begin now, and let's do this. I think that I would like to hear from the people who just read it mm. just now, <laughs> because it's it's fun to have what did we see, three people here who had just finished it like this week or last week. So does anybody have something they would love to say about the story? As I was reading this, I kept thinking, Little Scout has got to be the author. Mm. Does anybody else think that like when yeah. they were reading it does Jean Stratton Porter like she has the same name spelled differently but maybe she was writing a little bit about herself as a child I don't know that thought crossed my mind numerous times I could be way off base but well you're not way no, off you're not way off at all because it was actually her granddaughter was the inspiration oh interesting Sarah I I felt the same way as you I really felt like this was somewhat odd not autobiographical would be the wrong word I feel like she wrote herself into a story she wanted to be in but I think that she writes herself into every story in some capacity and maybe in more than one well she's definitely the bird woman in freckles and the girl of the Limberlost. but she's also the girl right exactly who is she in yeah. this one if she's not scout then I don't know maybe she's the um observer she could almost be Mrs. Cameron. I wondered that, Kathy. Is she Mrs. Cameron? Maybe, yeah. A little. Well, there's an eight-page letter she wrote at the back of the first edition, which is not in the Grossip, Grossip edition. Oh. So I was just skimming through it, but I didn't see her talking about this book specifically. Are you going to put that letter in yours? Um, I... I wasn't going to because it's so long, honestly. <laughs> Maybe I could um, edit it down a little bit. Mm. I was just curious because you always like to have a letter from the author in, the, in your book. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't mean to interrupt there. I just no, wasn't great. sure if anybody knew that that letter existed because I think it's only in the first edition. Yeah, no, I didn't. In the back of my copy, I don't know that you would call it a letter. But there's like an afterword that says Jean Stratton Porter, her life and her books, which tells about and it's about eight pages. So I don't know if that's what you're referring to or if it's something else. Hmm. 
I just thought that seemed highly likely that Jean Stratton Porter was kind of a tomboy like this and really loved nature given like the topics of most of her books and probably loved to be outside and so seemed likely. I agree. You are right. (laughs) So Diane and Kathy, you always told me that Jean Stratton Porter really wanted to write nonfiction and that her publishers really wanted her to write fiction because it was so marketable. And so the deal they had was for every work of fiction that she gave them, they would publish a work of nonfiction of hers. And Lara, I see you nodding. I'm really impressed with her capacity to make us care about moths in the Limberlost books and bees in The Keeper of the Bees. You know, it the, the bees, especially in this book, they take on a, a personality of their own. And the way she did it was amazing because she went out and took all of her own photographs when that was still, you know, took so much equipment and she mm-hmm. was um, developing her photographs in her bathroom, mm-hmm. you know, on turkey platters. And just she just decided to do it and she did it and then put these books together and, and some of the pictures, some of the photographs, she colored them and she also could do some drawing so it's pretty amazing, but the, you do in the Girl of the Limberlost, you you want to care about moths, mm-hmm. and in this one, you care a lot about bees. Mm-hmm. But that's about enough for me, unless I want to be a beekeeper. I think <laughs> right, and I don't want to be a moth keeper. No. <laughs> <laughs> the moth one might be interesting because the, I think a lot of those moths are not around anymore, oh. at least not in that location. So I think that maybe it's a also historical, historically interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I did want to plant the garden, though. Yes. Because I was like, all those flowers that she kept, like the ones that he, sage, and uh, what were the three? Verbena, I think, was Sand one. Verbena, and then, yeah. Yeah. And then there was a third one that he mentioned he could yeah. smell. That he, whenever she would, the, the girl was mm-hmm. around, it was what he thought of her. And I was like, okay, I need to find those flowers. <laughs> Let us know how that goes, because I'm not going to try that here. <laughs> You're the closest to the actual environment. I can't yeah. plant those. They'll die. In Wyoming? <laughs> no. Oh, well, West Coast, kind of, no. Oh. <laughs> no, not really. But Sarah could plant the garden. <laughs> yes, Sarah should plant the garden. Yeah, I could try on my balcony that gets no sun. Probably <laughs> not going to happen. not going to work. <laughs> I did keep thinking, oh my gosh, two acres on the Pacific. That would be worth a fortune these days. (laughs) (laughs) And to inherit that, I thought, what an incredible gift that he left for Little Scout. Anybody else think it was strange, though, that we had to have an exact replica of the house? So there were two identical houses. (laughs) It was a little odd, but I think he was just trying to be fair. Don't you think it goes along, though, with the theme of playing in the game yes. square? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that was the Little Scouts theme. That was her mantra. Right. Yeah. I'm one of four siblings, and my dad is very careful to be, try to be fair. But not everything same doesn't Equal always fair. mean right. fair because we're always, we're all so mm-hmm. different. And so what he might do for one of us, he could do for the other one of us, but it, it wouldn't have the same effect or be the same benefit. Right. And so... Building the exact same house. (laughs) That's an easy way out. That might have not been fair. (laughs) 
Tanya, tell us what you thought. So I really loved it. I felt like it was, it felt somewhat contemporary. So I was fascinated that it was a hundred years old, essentially, because I, I thought a lot of the ideas that were presented were ideas that we're still struggling with today. Mm -hmm. And a very, very simple example of that was at the very beginning of the book when he no longer has his uniform and he's walking along the highway and no one wants to give him a ride where he could easily get a ride if he was in uniform, Mm -hmm. meaning people could look at him and think, well, that's a soldier, probably trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And it says, the line says, hold on one second. The day seemed to be passed when any traveler having a vacant seat would have despised himself if he had failed to offer anyone journeying on foot the privilege of riding. Mm. And I thought the time had passed in 1925. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Because <laughs> um, I grew up in a small community and I felt like the time was passed then, but it, it seemed more prevalent like in my my parents' generation that they would still maybe stop and pick somebody up that needed help or stop and help a flat tire or things like that. So there were some ideas that felt those challenges are still the same challenges today. And so just the humanness of it, I think a lot of times we think we're facing different challenges. And are we? I don't know. Are there challenges that humans have always faced? Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity of driving a group of teenagers up to Utah State for a leadership retreat, and they were talking a ton. And Two boys in the back were arguing the idea of the Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. And then they were getting into AI and all this other thing. And the one boy says to the other boy, well, we haven't always been as smart as we are now. Oh. Oh. And I sat there for a minute and I thought to myself, well, that's a very egotistical thing to think that because we have more technology or because we have greater understanding in science, that we are somehow smarter than previous generations. Mm -hmm. And, it, and then it made me think about this story, right? Mm-hmm. Of this, there's just some experiences that are human experiences. Right. And I thought that the story did a great job of exemplifying those stories. I also thought that the character of Scout was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all think of a child that's like Scout. Mm-hmm. And I thought the approach to Scout was fascinating considering our modern times. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't 100% sure. Like I was like 75% sure what the outcome of Scout would be, mm-hmm. but not 100% sure. I was I was interested to see where that was going to go. And I, I really loved it. I really loved the outcome of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a cousin that was very much a tomboy. And I was like, it's really fascinating. And I loved just his character of like where he came from, the parents that raised him, his outlook on life, his I, I guess Sarah said she felt like it was a little preachy. Mm. I didn't. Maybe, Sarah, you can talk about that. I didn't sense that at all. I sensed more I was walking with characters who had specific experiences and you're just you're in, let in on their thought processes. Maybe preachy wasn't the right word. I wasn't bothered at all by like the talk of God and their faith. I think it was more comments here and there that felt like the author was trying to make certain points. I thought it was odd how often she brought up that he was Scottish and like how yeah that implied certain things. I was like, really? <laughs> I was really sure oh. that, I mean, maybe I'm just 
uh, not aware. <laughs> I loved that, actually. Love that. Okay, tell us why you love that, because that kind of, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> that is such a fascinating thing, because this is something that many people say, and it seems to, in potato peel pie, it always divided down the middle. Half of the people were really put off by all of the comments about ethnicity, and half of them strongly identified with it and thought, Yes, that is so consistent with my experience, my lived experience because of fill in the blank. So it feels like uh, this is a, an American coming of age tension moment. That's the way I look at it. In a lot of her books, in almost all of them, she has some characters. She's always saying, well, because, you know, the, he was Irish, so he was like this. And he was Scottish, so he was like this. Mm. And he was, here's his background, so we know he acted like that. And back then... Because a lot of these people were like maybe only second generation mm -hmm. from their native countries. I think that the reason she makes that observation is because they were a lot more true. Mm -hmm. There's, he still, you know, can come out with his Scottish burr if he wants to. And so does the storm woman. So I don't think she's being racist or she's not talking down to people. I think she's just making an observation that the people from the old country still were like that. And you could identify them by certain traits, even though it's never a hundred percent true. Right. It just, it feels funny to us because we don't know anybody like that, but she probably did. Yeah. So I loved that too. So I loved that they kept bringing up that he was a Scot and how that heritage defined him. And I think partly that's because I love family history and because I've done a lot of family history and it's important to find the stories of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. So I think especially what happens here in the United States is that a lot of European Americans have done massive assimilation. Mm -hmm. And now there's a lot of drive towards other ethnicities not wanting to lose their culture inside of an American culture. But a lot of Caucasians have lost their culture. Yeah. And so it's fun to look back and see that there are cultural things of European Americans too. Like we're, we're not cultureless. And sometimes I feel like that's what's it can feel like. And our heritage on my husband's side is Scottish mm -hmm. and Irish. I have three redheaded daughters. And like, I'm sorry, there are some things <laughs> that feel very true <laughs> to the stereotypes. And stereotypes come, I mean, stereoty we shouldn't stereotype people, mm -hmm. but stereotypes come around because sometimes you start to see dominance in some things. Yeah. So when the doctor comes to him and like, so he's struggling with like, can I accept this gift? Can I not accept the gift? And the doctor is like, you damn Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you stubborn mules. <laughs> right. And then, the, and then he like calls him out on yeah. it. So you can't, then you shouldn't accept anything that's good that's been given to you. Like, I love that. I, that's the, the, the part that I have been sharing with my family. <laughs> this part you're so going to love because he comes to him and says, so then then you shouldn't accept air and you shouldn't accept food. Right. Like if you can't accept anything good that's been giving to you without you having earned it, then what are you here for? And I was like, oh, I just felt, I guess it resonated with, with me, the whole thing. Well, I think as, as Christians, you know, we have a rich, rich spiritual cultural heritage that is inherited from the Judeo Christian experience grounded in the Old Testament Jews. And so we have this, this cultural bias towards a clannishness of sense um, in the best possible way of saying there are certain 
ethnic traits. There are certain cultural traits that are positive. They are binding. They are encouraging of people. I, I have. Uh, I went to boarding school in Ireland, and I studied. I went to Hillsdale College. I graduated from Hillsdale College, but I did two terms at the University of Oxford. And my family's traveled to Europe a lot. So I've spent a lot of time overseas. And I love drinking in all the different European cultures. And I live in a community that has a fair amount of immigrants who are first and second generation. And so I've always grown up seeing that this is how certain, you know, the Dutch are like this and the, the Irish are like this. And never in a discriminatory way, never in a racist meaning to put down or diminish or disrespect kind of a way. This whole sensibility that there are certain things about their personalities that are inherited from generations of history that are steeped in a particular culture and a particular way of doing things. I think typically she uses the ethnicity of somebody as a way to strengthen their character, not limit. So, but Diane, in all this talk about ethnicity, Sadly, Gene Stratton Porter has one book that we we'd like to offer a caution about. Yes, and you're really not likely to just happen upon it and accidentally hand it to your children because nobody's republishing it anymore because it was really distasteful. It's her father's daughter and she's very racist in this book and even though those kinds of things the the references cultural references of the time don't usually bother me. Mm-hmm. This one bothered me she was really just downright nasty about it that's sad so her father's daughter if you see that i don't know if you should ever happen to find a copy in an old bookstore or whatever and don't pay for it no i (laughs) it's not worth. i would say feel free to buy it and burn it (laughs) that's what i do (laughs) oh you could do that depends on how much it is (laughs) but so our so that listeners just that you know we have a cautionary review on our site that diane has written about that book so you can take a little look inside of it and see for yourself and make your own decision but that we don't want people to think that we are saying gold seal gene stratton porter everything she wrote run out and buy that's not the case this one we would say "Mm, you might want to pause A sentence that I liked along the way that I wanted to just share with everybody. And it's somewhere near the end where Margaret is talking to Jamie and she says, if I understand the province of a friend at all, it consists largely in keeping one's mouth shut and doing the things that will be of most benefit. And I just think that um, sometimes people just need to do that just to get along. And Mm -hmm. you just have to consider that your friend is your friend and there's a reason why. And just sometimes you don't have to be brutal about telling the truth. So (laughs) I I enjoyed that sentence. And and also um, just the overall feel of the book, I really enjoyed in the beginning reading about the Bee Mm -hmm. Master's Garden the beautiful flowers, I could just imagine them in his house and just overlooking the ocean. And I kept thinking while I was reading the book, just the panoramic views, how beautiful this would be to be filmed. You know, just him when he's like wandering around the country and in the car hitching rides. I mean, even that would be beautiful. And just the oceans, the flowers overlooking the flowers overlooking the ocean. And then just a few minutes ago, when I read her letter at the back, it said that movie studios had told her that her books weren't beautiful enough to be um, turned what? into movies. 
Yeah. So she, so she wrote this book, her last book, she made it, she put in all the panoramic views and what she was working on when she passed away was a screenplay for this movie because she was doing it because she wanted the movie studios to film it. Oh, wow. And they did. I read that there were three movie versions of this book and I can see why. I've never seen any of them. Has anybody seen those? I read about them, but mm-hmm. I read about who starred in them. I haven't seen them, but I can just see how this would could translate so beautifully onto the screen. Just all the human emotions mixed in with the, the beautiful surroundings. Yeah. Well, I can't believe that they didn't think that the limber lost was pretty enough to be a set. That's, That's crazy. I'm not sure you can even find these movies anymore because they were black and white and they were silent. And I think a lot of them have just, mm. you know, gone the way of the dust of those old, old movies mm. because I've tried and I haven't ever found any of them. I just wanted to ask. So first of all, did everybody know when you were reading this book that she died right after writing it? I felt haunted the whole time I was reading it. I don't think I felt haunted the first time, but this this particular reading, I felt haunted by all of the conversation, all the memento mori type conversation that she wrote into this book. Jamie always contemplating his death and, you know, Lolly, of course, dying and then the, you know, the bee master dying. And I thought all of the ways in which the bee master put his affairs in order and the love with which he tried to pass on his his legacy and the gift of his estate and the way that Jamie tried to make his life a gift in whatever time he had left i thought it was just so compelling and yet i i thought what it she, she I mean it wasn't like she was dying of cancer when she wrote this she died in a car accident so she died unexpectedly and i thought what a what a fascinating series of thoughts to be having when in fact you're at the very end of your own life. And little scouts description of the two kinds of death and how that impacted Jamie was really powerful. Sorry, Eunice, very chatty in the background. (laughs) Eunice, great. (laughs) Yes. I, I agree, Sarah. I, I actually thought that that was one of the most beautiful descriptions of death I had ever read. Did anybody think that, this little scout would have been friends with the other scout from To Kill yeah. a Mockingbird. I, I thought, thought they, they were sisters, right? Friends. <laughs> yeah. I, I kept having to say, okay, this is this is Jean Louise, right? And what is Scout's name in Mockingbird? Isn't it Jean as well? This is Jean Meredith, is that right? Oh, this is Oh yeah, so Jean this Meredith, is Jean Meredith. Jean the Louise. Other is Jean Louise. <laughs> so this scout is Jean Jean Meredith, and the in Mockingbird is Jean Louise. And I kept thinking, this is the same character. So then I was wondering the whole time whether or not Harper Lee had been influenced by this book, and whether or not these are supposed to, you know, if it's an echo on purpose. <laughs> I don't know if there's any way to know. It is funny, though, that we were talking about the movies and she was writing a screenplay. Jean's father is a movie producer. Yes. Her Jean Stratton Porter's daughter really did marry a movie producer. Oh, but because of Jean starting a movie company, Jean Stratton Porter started a movie company 
And so her daughter came to know this producer and married him. So the little scout's dad was a movie producer. (laughs) Fascinating. Girls, Jill shared with us some of the beautiful language of this book, but also just this beautiful, compelling imagery. And I, I felt like this was a very sensory book. And I thought honey and bees and the healing power of both honey and nature Oh, I just, I kept thinking for my own aches and pains, all I wanted to do was just go jump in the ocean and then sunbathe. (laughs) I wanted that salt bath myself. Um, I thought this was really, really beautiful. And to me, this is a very healing and soothing book to read to my weary soul. And I felt like I could really identify with Jamie, even though I am not, you know, we don't have anything in common in real life. I felt like much of his struggle is a struggle that I think I feel a lot. And I don't desire to go and drink tomato juice. Thank you, Lara, for that picture the other day. <laughs> the heartburn just wouldn't wouldn't sit right with me. <laughs> Anybody else, when he's drinking all that tomato juice, thinking, ah, uh, that would be terrible for my heartburn. <laughs> and it would taste disgusting. I thought it sounded lovely. Oh. <laughs> I think that's one of the things I loved. So just Coming off of what you were saying and what Jill was saying about the imagery and the beauty, I think what captured me probably the most was the healing nature of the Mm -hmm. book. So to me, it's a book for anybody that needs respite Mm -hmm. or needs healing. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just the healing of nature. So you had the bees and the beautiful location, the flowers, the ocean, what he did with those things. But then there's the colors, Mm -hmm. the way the colors are shown Mm -hmm. and colors can be healing. I think the very house itself was yes. healing. So the descriptions of the furniture mm-hmm. and like the quality of the furniture, I, I yearned for. I actually spoke to my husband specifically about the house. And I said, it wasn't that it was the fanciest or the most expensive, but it was unique and well-made and exquisite. Artesian. And so, Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we've lost that now, right? Right. Where everything comes out of a box or Mm -hmm. whatnot and it's everything's mass produced. And so there was something about where he just came into the house, like everything about the experience and the neighbors and the relationships was healing as well as like coming into a vocation that could be healing. And I feel like part of why he loved all of these things was because he knew he was a caretaker. He didn't feel that it was his own and that he was striving for some selfish objective. But he took mercy on the beekeeper. And then because the beekeeper trusted him and was good to him, he wanted to be a faithful steward. And I thought that his call to stewardship in this was so beautiful and in and of itself was healing. He had something to live for. He had good work to do for someone else, and that made everything else sweeter and more meaningful. So I love that, how he got named. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't the bee master and how he became the keeper of the bees. I thought that was really profound and thought-provoking as he steps into a new role and how Scout came up with that. Well, and it had to be handed to him by Scout because she was the first keeper of all things for the Bee Master. She was the first and foremost. And and she is credentialed in a way. One of the things that Diane and, and Kathy and I love about Jean Stratton Porter is that it's a lot of self-education. She's a big fan of 
learning something because you want to learn it. So Jean Stratton Porter is a big fan of having her characters um, go on a journey of self-discovery, but also self-education. And the little scout has read all the Bee Master's books. That comes out at the end of the story that when he dies, she inherits the books, right? I'm pretty sure she inherits all the books. Yeah. She inherits the books because she's already read them and because she wants them. And I thought that that was really profound. So she was the person who then could bestow that title on Jamie. He couldn't claim it. It had to be bestowed by somebody who knew what they were doing and trusted him. But he also has understood that the whole time. He's been very humble Mm -hmm. from walking into the house and not sitting in the Bee Master's chair. Right. Because he plays the game square. Right. But it was one of the most beautiful pictures of him knowing his place and not wanting to usurp someone else's and and ready to earn any kind of a place. Mm -hmm. He just picks a different chair. (laughs) And look at the contrast, how respectful he is of the Bee Master's house. You know, he lives there with a little bit of apprehension, right? He doesn't even want to sleep in the Bee Master's bed because it's not really his bed, but that's the bed he has to sleep in. Versus Little Scout, she just feels so comfortable everywhere that she just crashes on his bed for a nap all the time. I thought that that was just the dichotomy between the two of them is just really fun to watch. But she also has earned that place. Yes. Yes, absolutely. She spent years earning that place. Yes. There's also the contrast, though, of the woman who comes to try to take over the house Mm -hmm. and then the mother of Little Scout, who also feels very comfortable, but in a completely different way. Yeah. Such a completely different character. Well, and then she sits in the Bee Master's chair. Right. Because she can. Which is fascinating. The thing I didn't get enough of in this book is I didn't get enough of the of the relationship between her and the Bee Master because there was one clearly like she's not just trusting her daughter over there for nothing there is a relationship there and it's it feels to me like it's very very dear and special and i would have liked more than just the tease of that one thing that i want to make sure we mention is that like with freckles in all of her books there's a little bit of romance mm-hmm. i think that freckles you could hand to almost any child of any whatever age they're capable of reading the book and not worry about anything in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the girl, little Limberlost is a little bit more mature with the mm-hmm. ending, mm-hmm. but this one is more than that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, even with girl, just the whole themes of abuse are still a little heavy too. So you'd want to be more careful there. Right. There's the romance at the end is a little more intense and there, and it's more of an adult situation. But this one deals with some themes that people might want to know about. You may not be ready to talk about some of these things with your kids or have them reading that on their own with the unwed mother um, and, you know, calling it the shame baby. Mm -hmm. We still, we have the same uh, moral standards, but not necessarily the same reactions to them. And so there's nothing wrong with understanding that in the 1920s, people thought this. There's not a lot of description about how the things happen, but what happened? The young woman got pregnant when she wasn't married. And then what do we do? And so a lot of 
lies happen on top of each other, trying to cover up something, trying to save face, trying to save the baby. And because of it, Lolly dies without ever really being completely reconciled with her mother because of the Mm -hmm. lies, the lies and the hiding. She dies alone. And that is really tragic. Yeah. So even though some of the other books have elements of death in them, this is a that death is a little bit more intense Mm -hmm. than a lot of the other things in the, in her stories. Yeah, that's a good point. So just some cautions as far as the age that you might want to read this because Tanya, you probably are not going to have Ava read this right now. (laughs) No, I'd probably let my 17 year old read Mm -hmm. it though. They're both Uh books. I feel like you would really appreciate a lot more as an older teen anyway. Yes. Like yes, you weren't worried about the themes. I don't know that you could really get a whole lot out of it as a younger. Well, that's a great child. point, Sarah. Yeah. I was just going to ask Sarah Kim about, you know, her son. He's 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's read Freckles, but I don't, wouldn't have him read Girl of the Limberlost or Keeper of the Bees because I don't think he would appreciate them at that age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The part with the Storm Girl and Jamie and then Lolly. He at the at the point that they make the agreement, you know, he's expecting not to survive his ordeal. So he agrees mm-hmm. to the whole thing. But when he finally is made aware of what is going on, because he's going along, but he doesn't really know what he's going along with. And yet he is still willing to accept the responsibility, even though the doctor dresses him down quite harshly in the hospital for not being there for his wife. And he's trying to cover up the fact that he's never laid eyes on this person. He honored his his vow. He kept it. And he took the beating from the doctor, so to speak, the verbal lashing, and mm-hmm. took the baby and pulled up his bootstraps and said, we're going to do something and make it work. Because he promised mm-hmm. to make this baby, you know, have a real family, a real name. He also acknowledges along the way as he's thinking through these things that whatever happens, he's married. Yes. And will always be married to this person he doesn't even know. So he has forfeited the right to have another wife. To have his... Mm-hmm. And, and, and it dawns on him at a certain point, he's getting help. That garish wound is healing. He might actually live. And now he will have to live alone because he's married to a woman mm-hmm. he's never, you know, he's barely ever seen. And he cannot marry another and he cannot then have children. So his legacy. Because he made a vow. Right. And because he made a vow in good faith and he's honorable and because he genuinely desired to be of service. Yes. How do you not love a character like that? <laughs> <laughs> So I kept thinking things happen in several things happen in this story where um, I guess Tolkien would call it the you catastrophe where something (laughs) happens that remedies the situation that seems almost unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And I, I started to think how many things like this can happen before the story becomes unbelievable. You know, he, he stumbles up to a, a cabin about to die and, and somebody else comes out, and he doesn't die because this other person needs him more. Then he gets given this cabin just kind of out of the blue. He's been there for a week yeah. or two, you know. And and then so these things keep happening. But they almost answer that question in the discussion of um, 
will you accept negative things from the hand of fate or whatever and not the good things from the hand of fate? And when Little Scout tells him, you went to war and you got that wound, why are you okay with accepting that and you won't accept this gift that's been given you? So the, the idea of how much grace can you take before it's not your free will anymore <laughs> is a big thought discussion that I think um, is another reason this book's probably better situated for an older reader to think through those kind of questions. But, you know, you, things kept happening and you were like, like the fact that the woman that he marries unknowingly dies so that now he can marry the, the one, one that, actual that one he, he thought he was marrying. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You also have the, through a big part of the book, Jamie contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. Not that he's, that it goes on very long where he's thinking how he might do it mm-hmm. because he realizes that that's not the right thing to do. But there's always that thought there. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should end it before it ends for me. Um, and just a lot of thinking about death. But I love how that turns the corner where the narrator says he'd been thinking about death for two years and now he was thinking about life. And that completely turns everything around. When he starts to think about living instead of dying, the whole thing changes. One thing about with his attitude, you know, because it starts off, he's been in this hospital for a year and it hasn't improved him one little bit. So here's medicine isn't healing him. And then he goes off on his great adventure thinking there's got to be something besides this that's going to help me or I'm going to die trying, basically. I think it was wonderful that he had the neighbor who was helping him to find out how life was going to happen. Okay, you were dying and now we're going to do our best to help you live. And I love how it comes out. But then he has to turn around and do the same thing right. for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he learned the lesson from her so then he could give it back to her too. <laughs> but that's right. one of my right. favorite things about this story is the absolute sanctity of life that is just completely expressed in every twist and turn. The baby is not a shame baby. Maybe culture might perceive it to be a shame baby, but there's nothing shameful about that baby. That baby wouldn't exist if the Lord didn't want him to. That's what Jamie believes. So that baby, it deserves a good name and a good upbringing and every chance at life. He has this wound that needs to be healed because his life matters. The bee master's life matters. Scout's journey, her wrestling with herself, her not knowing where she fits in this world and who she is and what she's for, she matters and her discovery matters. I loved that, that every one of these people, in what the narrator is convinced of is that every one of these people has infinite value and is worthy of trying to be healed. And so whatever the, whatever the ill is, we should come together to help that ill be healed, whether it's a wound, whether it's a moral wound, an emotional wound, it's a wound of confusion, whatever it is, it deserves to be healed so the person can be whole because they matter. I love that about this book. And that's why, again, I find it haunting that this is her final story. She's so close to death, doesn't know as an author, does not know in real life she's going to die. And she's writing such a compelling story of life. I loved it. 
I also felt that it was him coming into a place of taking ownership for himself and his life in conjunction with deciding to walk with God. So he'd been in that hospital having the very best that doctors had to provide for him, and he wasn't getting any better. But he also wasn't taking any ownership for Mm -hmm. his own healing or his own direction. The key decision was when he decided to leave. And the moment he decides to leave, it's one decision after another. And finally, like he knows that he'd prayed when he was younger and he knows who God is and he has that training from when he's younger, but the war was Mm -hmm. the war, Mm -hmm. right? And, and now he's like, now you see him being, stopping to pray, stopping to have a conversation with God. And I think he decides I can either try to do something myself in my mind or I can Mm -hmm. quit, Right. Those are my only two options, but it's no longer the doctor's responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility. There's no one that's going to help him except him in conjunction with his relationship with God. But he could still have had a shift in his mindset, which is what he Mm -hmm. had. And then he did have healing to his body as well. And I just think that's so that's so powerful because like the, the, the beekeeper, it was his time. There wasn't going to be any further healing for him. Right. But he was in the right, right mindset. He, he left this earth well. He had all the time to mm-hmm. prepare himself. And then he died the kind of death that that little scout was hoping he would have. I just wanted to say one really quick thing that I read. I switched to the audiobook about a third of the way through the book because I, otherwise I wouldn't have finished in time. And I noticed because I would follow along sometimes in the evening, mm-hmm. the audiobook skips some sentences no I don't know why I just omit them so it doesn't feel completely abridged none of the sentences that the the narrator did read were changed Mm -hmm. but some were just missing I am sad to know I'm glad you told us but I'm sad to know that oh I never really it wasn't significant but enough sometimes like a whole paragraph I was like what's going on here and it didn't seem like it did seem like maybe it was trying to keep the the narration a little bit shorter because it didn't seem like there were was a good reason to admit them except for just maybe they weren't critical to the storyline right anyway thought i would mention that i made a note in biblio guides too oh that's good to know thank you well was it you sarah that said that you had found the audio because i had looked for it in the past and i don't think i saw it and i thought man i am not getting through this again as quick as i want and then i went i can get the audio and i was glad to be able to hear it again but now, shoot, I'm going to have to go listen to it and read it at the same yeah, time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the no, to my knowledge, the audio is relatively new. In my past readings of this book, there was no audio. And so I was really tickled pink to find it when we went looking for it uh, for this book club. Other than the fact that clearly it's missing some things, which I find really sad. Um, I did enjoy the audio. Well, let's take a few minutes now before we wrap up and talk to Jill about the reprinting of this book. So, Jill, what would you like everybody to know about this? I would like you to tell people about the cover. Of course, we're going to have them go and look at the cover. Um, But do you want to describe it and say why you selected it? Well, I was asked to do this book because you all felt it needed a it needed pretty to be cover. Yes, it needed to be a pretty book to match the story inside. And I did look at the old covers, and the one that comes to mind is the a large pink cosmos with a bee on it. And I'm thinking, 
that cover designer didn't even read the story because pink flowers have nothing to do with this. It's all about (laughs) how blue flowers are the perfect flowers for bees. So um, I found a vintage cover um, that was very similar to the beekeeper's garden or the bee master's garden. And I made a lot of the flowers blue Mm. just (laughs) <laughs> because I had read all of, I had just finished reading the description of this garden and I thought this is so beautiful I have yes. to find a beautiful cover to match this and I think it really is a pretty cover and and the inside of the book in the first edition there are a lot of black and white line drawings that they mm-hmm. call decorations so I'm having fun with those I'm keeping them in the front of the book like the contents page the copyright page and all that but I'm also sprinkling those pictures throughout the whole book as like a surprise Yay. for people um, because Yay. in one place yeah I know it's so fun I'm I'm having a lot of fun doing that on one page it describes um, the, bee, the bee master's garden and how the hives are situated. So I found a picture, a black and white drawing from the front where the, um, the hive is. And so I erased everything else. And there's just this pretty little picture on that page of the hive and flowers. Aww. And so I just hope people enjoy these little touches that are going to be throughout the book. Oh, I think it, I will definitely enjoy them. And I just think that that adds so much to the book. I really oh, do. <laughs> and I just think having a, vin- a, a beautiful vintage cover mm-hmm. to go with this beautiful vintage story, I just think they feel like they were made to go together. Yeah. And this book is so, like we talked about earlier, this book was designed to be seen. It was designed mm-hmm. to be converted to a screenplay and made into a mm-hmm. movie. So to have these really ugly covers just feel, felt like an injustice. <laughs> and they have nothing to do with the story. It's right. just that somebody decided, oh, it's got to have bees on the cover because bees are in the title. And it just really, <laughs> you know, it's so much more than just bees. Mm-hmm. It's about the beauty of the garden and you know, and human nature. So, well, we didn't know that we were doing this book club for sure until a little while ago. And I, I always choose a word of the year. I'm Catholic though. So my new year is not January 1st, but it's the first Sunday in Advent. And so, which is typically the last weekend in November. So I picked my word of the year in November and my word for this year is hive. And I didn't know why but the spirit really pressed that word into my heart very strongly. And I'm beginning to see why. Um, it's funny how those things happen. But so then when we were reading this book, I just thought, this is exactly what I need right now to encourage me. And knowing that you're reprinting this, Jill, the promise of that beauty is just really a treat. Uh, it's something really fun to look forward to. And it's it she deserves to have a really pretty version of her book on our shelves. <laughs> Well, thanks. I'm really excited to see what people think of it when it's finished. Yay. So that book will be available. Do you know approximately when? It should be sometime this summer. I've got to clean it up and add some more pictures throughout. And then Diane's going to proofread it for me. And it shouldn't be too much long after that. So I I would say by June. Marvelous. Yay. So, of course, we will re-air this episode when you launch that book. And we will, of course, make sure that everybody knows that it's out when it's available. So thank you. Will it be available in hardback and paperback or just one or the other? 
from now on, I'm going to be doing most of our books in paperback and hardcover. Yay! This has been so fun. <laughs> been waiting for this for a long time, Yay. just as one of my favorite books. You're especially happy because you didn't like last month's, so. <laughs> as much. <laughs> yes. And I think it was really, really fun to have Kathy here to have her very first ever book discussion. <laughs> yes. And Laura and Tanya and Sarah, thank you for being here. And Jill, not only thank you for being here, but just for grabbing onto this book and saying, okay, I'll do it. Cause we're all so excited about this coming out and I know it's going to be beautiful and I need a beautiful yes. book. <laughs> I agree. It needs to be a beautiful book. And I just appreciate the recommendation. I'd never read Jean Stratton Porter book before. Yay. Nice. <laughs> well, friends, we are really glad that you joined us today and that you were able to listen through to the end. We love doing these book clubs so much we really enjoy the friendship that we are all gaining together in being able to play together. Really, it's it's a form of play to be able to read and talk about these books. And we really hope that for you, it's fun as well. Uh, again, we really would like to interact with you. So join us in the BiblioGuides online community. Come chat with us about the books. Feel free to even tell us if you're really wishing that there was something we'd be doing. We've got our books picked out for the next few months, but... You know, we're always open to ideas to consider. And so, as always, ladies, I'm so grateful for you and so appreciate these book clubs. And so, friends, next month, we're not going to do a pretty book. <laughs> it's, we are going to begin uh, three really challenging books. And we're going to give you a little heads up now that the next three months, so for April, May, and June, we will be going into C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. These are books that Diane and I have long loved and love to talk about. Um, interestingly, we very often see the Space Trilogy being recommended for boy readers. Typically, we see it in places like for middle schoolers. And we really felt that it would be both wonderful fun to be able to read these books together and discuss them, and also an aid to mamas. Because moms, I would not be giving them to middle school boys. I would be doing them with upper level high school kids. Now, the first book I think is great for a lot of ages and stages. But even in that one, there is some content that you may want to know that's there. They may just be comments, but they're comments nonetheless. And then each book becomes a little bit more mature in its orientation. And so, even if you don't want to read along with the Space Trilogy, we invite you to come and listen to those episodes over the next three months so that you can kind of have a sense of what's going on in those books and decide when and if those are the right books for your kids. Now, again, we love them. We think they're fantastic, but we do want mamas to know what they're getting when they go into them. So with that, we thank you for joining us. We look forward to next time. 